0: Right. Pious and elaborate treatise concerning prayer and the answer of prayer by John Brown of Wamfrey. We're up to chapter 16. What it is to ask in Christ's name. Again, John 14 13 and 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. <clears throat> So, uh, we, we've talked for the last couple of weeks about the right manner of prayer, and um, we're going to talk specifically now about praying in the name of Christ and, and why. Uh, so, we're going to be looking at that in terms of, of a, ser- a series of... of um, Uh, reasons and the more uh, Brown's point here is the more you understand uh, what is involved with the mediation of Christ as he really got into I think a bit last time and Um, the implications of that for when we're actually petitioning, not just... uh, Last time we talked about praying in the name of of Jesus or uh, invoking the name of the the Son of God in our praying, but when we're asking in terms of mediation, petitioning in terms of mediation, uh, this has some additional implications, and he wants you to understand uh, what these things are. So, um, we're going to be getting it here at question 322. um And that is uh, the next thing to be cleared in the manner of prayer and why. <coughs> and <clears throat> the answer is uh, he wants to clear what it is to ask in the name of Christ. In other words, last time we talked about praying in the name of Christ, but he he wants to now get into what it is to pray in the name of Christ. And the reason why is, this is 322b, um, he wants us to understand the proper way of making use of the mediator Jesus Christ, the God-man, in our address to God. So we've asserted that we ought to pray through a mediator, but what exactly does that mean? Right? What, what is the, um, the point of all of that? Not just why is it necessary, but, um, what benefit accrues to us as a result of that? So we, we need to look at that question. So, in order to answer the question, he wants us to take notice of several particular things as prerequisites to understanding the answer. Things that we need to keep in mind uh, if we would appreciate this whole matter of making use of a mediator in our praying right in in making petition to God, petitioning God uh, in prayer, using or invoking the name of Christ. So we, we already know that this is what we ought to do and we've looked at some of the doctrinal uh, some of the doctrinal aspects of that, right? The idea of, of uh, the name in, in which we should pray. But there are particular things, <clears throat> there are particular things that should come to our mind um, as we think about the mediator, our need of the mediator. Uh, why God has appointed a mediator? Uh, why we can't simply ask God directly? You know, what, there, there's this this idea of mediation is pointing to a problem, and we've we've talked about this. But the first particular prerequisite, uh, three twenty-three, uh, to answer what it is to pray in Christ's name is this. The praying person has to be convinced and persuaded of his sinfulness, vileness, and distance from God by reason of sin. And, And his point here is this. As long as you think at any point, to any degree, that somehow you, apart from a mediator, will be acceptable to God. To that degree, that's going to work its way into your praying, right into the thinking behind your praying, into the meditating over your praying. As long as you don't fully... Um, digest this point. I'm a wicked, vile sinner and in and of myself, there's nothing but alienation and enmity and distance from God. Like There's nothing in me. There's no ability. There's no desire. There's nothing I don't, you know, I don't even want to be saved, quite frankly, right? If, I, if I'm honest, <clears throat> I mean, my flesh rejects this. I don't even like the idea. I like my sin. You want to be saved in your sin, not saved God. Your sin. Right, that's, and that's the natural man. And, and there's, as long as there's some of that going on, you don't really... Fully, you you haven't fully um, uh, uh, incorporated what the Bible has said about you as a sinner, a sinful creature, into your deportment before God. But Brown is saying you need to do that, right? You, you're not really ever going to grasp fully or grasp. Um, with the the appropriate appreciation, thanksgiving and so forth, the need for the mediator, as long as you're somewhere swimming around in your mind, in your spirit, this idea that I'm really not that bad. You know, there's a lot of times... Um, people who have sinned great sins in their lives, um, and, and Jesus talks about this. You know that the, the idea that the um, the harlots and the publicans will go into the kingdom of God sooner. People who have who have um, crossed big moral lines, a lot of times have an easier time understanding and really appropriating to themselves this kind of thinking right this kind of of um, uh, understanding that there is a a vileness and an, an inherent vileness in ourselves you know people um, people who've been kept from, you know, outrageous, egregious, high-handed sin, a lot of times have a much tougher time thinking of themselves as really bad, vile people. Uh, And and that's because, again, we tend to relativize. And and there's a sense in which even people who've crossed the bigger lines, moral lines, um, there's a relativizing going on. And Brown is really saying, you know, you don't, you don't need to, you shouldn't relativize your relation to sin. <clears throat> you need to absolutize your your um, uh, sense of of sinfulness. All right. So, whether you have um, broken all of the commandments in the most high-handed manner uh, with you know respect to um, you know God himself in the fa- as if in the face of God himself or it's much more internalized and, Seemingly moderate, it hasn't. The plague, in other words, hasn't broken out. It's just seething within you. Uh, Brown is saying, "Look, you need to understand the plague is still in you, and the plague, whether it's in germ or in full manifestation, is still the plague. It's still, sin. It's still, there's still original sin. There's still the guilt of that. There's still all of the." Guilt has being owned by you simply uh, by virtue of the fact that you don't um, you don't fully reject you don't fully uh, uh, find abhorrent the things that God finds abhorrent. <clears throat> Nor do you love that which God loves, right? With a, with a perfect love. I mean, if you're really going to assess yourself, you have to ask yourself, do I hate, absolutely hate what God hates with a perfect hatred? Do I love what God loves with a perfect love? If I don't, um, the, the moral gulf between myself and my Creator is not incremental, it's infinite. So you need to think of yourself as a vile, vile sinner. All right. There's a second per, uh, particular prerequisite, 324, uh, that needs to be answered, what it is to pray in Christ's name. And that is, the person who would ask in Christ's name has to have faith and knowledge of Christ as mediator. All right, so what he means by this is, you, you have to have a sense of who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, and, and here's where it gets tricky. You know, there are a lot of people who think that all that's required is faith in Jesus. Well, no, 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 that, that's, that's not what I'm getting at here. Uh, there, There's this idea that that Jesus, as long as you believe in Jesus and can say, I believe in Jesus, that that's going to be enough to carry you through. Uh, but as early as the early church, we began to see this wasn't really as... Um, Straightforward necessarily as it might have sounded at the first. Because there's this underlying question, and, and he's pointing at, at this here. Who is this Jesus, right? Do you know, do you understand that he alone is the appointed one? But we need to know who he is, right? There are false Christs that have gone out into the world. And if there are false Christs, certainly there are false ideas of Christ. And so having a correct understanding of who this Jesus is, is necessary to have a sound and solid faith in this Jesus. Right? To know him as mediator uh, means to have some knowledge, to take some knowledge of what it is for him to occupy and to exercise the office of mediator. Why is that necessary? What is he doing? So these are all things that, um, and he he says, we talked about a lot of this last time, and we did. talked about the mediator, that he is both God and man. There are two natures. One person. That person is the divine and eternal son of God. Okay, so our faith is not in a man, but our faith is through the man, Christ Jesus, in the divine person who is who, who lived his life in the nature of man. Okay, So we, we are looking at him in terms of the condescension that God has appointed in the Incarnation. But that's not to say, it's not the same thing as to say that our faith is in man. Our faith is not in man, it's in God. All right. (coughs) 325, there's a third uh, particular prerequisite to answer what it is to pray in Christ's name. And that is, we should know what Christ has done. Um, and I already began to allude to this. In order to make peace and open a door of access for him to the Father, right? What's the ground of our our um, belief? What's the uh, ground of the boldness and confidence with which we can approach a throne of grace? You know, what has Jesus really done? What has he accomplished? And why was it necessary? So, again, we have to have, uh, I think, a pretty clear perception of uh, the whole dark matter of sin. You know, if you don't really have a sense of sin, a sense that there's something fundamentally wrong in the creation, uh, not not just wrong uh, in terms of uh, the the um, the visible manifestations, but something morally wrong, something that's gone awry morally. If you don't have that, and you don't think um, that you, in particular, are also involved and culpable in this the whole idea of redemption is not going to make sense anyway. So this is why, you know, in a different context here, uh, but this is why we talk about the law and the work of the law, what the law is doing. What the law is, is um, there to drive you to Christ you know because it, it the, the law does a couple of things it it points out if you're honest right if you actually allow yourself to assess yourself according to the law <clears throat> that's when you begin to perceive how far your idea of obedience is from what god is really requiring and when you come to that knowledge, the next thing, the next knowledge you need to take of yourself is uh, that there is both a lack of desire and lack of ability for you to um, enter into that conformity. But you don't, you don't have any natural desire and, and any any natural ability. <clears throat> At that point, the idea of redemption is, I I think, much more understandable. So as far as um, the door opening in which faith is going to be exercised, um, if God should grant it, that's really what what people need. And that's exactly why... uh, you know, we live in a world now where people are constantly saying, we, you know, we don't like you being judgmental. Don't, don't judge. Right? Don't, don't say these things. Um, and, and they'll even quote Jesus, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Um, but the point in the Bible is not that you shouldn't pass moral judgments or even speak moral judgments. The point of the Bible is your judgments ought to be righteous judgments, that they should be conformed to the judgments of Scripture. You know, We're, we're to pass those kinds of judgments. Uh, that you know, we, we, We're not to call evil good or good evil. We're not to confuse categories, uh, nor should we be encouraging others to be confused in that. But the world hates that. They don't, they don't like the work of the law. They don't like to be reminded that because, you see, unbelievers are continually trying to sear their consciences. They're continually in a state of trying to evade the um, the force of the law and, and feeling the force of the law. So their consciences are constantly uh, prodding them and, and troubling them and they they enter into a series of of actions designed to evade. Sometimes it's you know drug or alcohol use. Sometimes it's um, other you know se- sensual sins, right? But what they what they try to do is they try to overwhelm a sense of spiritual guilt with some kind of of fleshly comfort, carnal comfort. Uh, and they try to replace that and 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 squeeze that out because it does bother them. You know, they don't like to be alone. Most people, because being alone or being quiet. You know, they. Why do you think people like having televisions running all the time and radios going all the time? There's always something has to be going on. <clears throat> they don't like just sitting there uh, in a, in a place in a point where they have to be still and think. Because when you have to be still and think, you start to have to confront uh, yourself and and where you really stand. They don't like that. And the more you know about the law, the more uh, more uncomfortable that those quiet moments are. All right, the fourth particular uh, prerequisite to answer what it is to pray in Christ's name, 326. And that is, it's necessary a person that would ask in the name of Christ to be reconciled to God through him, that he's actually made use of him as mediator. And, and the reason is, <clears throat> we have to understand, and, and we should if we understand the depth of our depravity. We will not, apart from making use of Christ as mediator, be accepted. Or acceptable before God. We cannot and will not be accepted by God outside of Christ. We have nothing to offer uh, that will be acceptable. You know, what's expected of us outside of Christ. Is a total and complete, uh, a perfect, I should say, um, uh, keeping of the law, <clears throat> and that that keeping of the law has to begin um, with. Being born in a state of innocence, well, that's something we can't do because we're all conceived in sin and born uh, unto iniquity. Right? We're, uh, this is the problem of original sin. And so we have to make use of Him. It's not enough to know about Christ and what He's done. You know, there are people who. who have a theoretical knowledge of Christianity. Uh, Sometimes some of these people actually are quite capable of telling you what, uh, you know, what Christianity really uh, believes, what it teaches, but they themselves don't actually believe it. And they certainly uh, wouldn't teach it other than maybe as a college or, or some other type of course so there's a difference and he's he's hinting at this now there's a difference between knowing the truth and believing it and believing the truth yeah and it's well the de- the devils sense. the devils know right uh, they have they they have that kind of knowledge, and they have a certain uh, belief that this knowledge is true. But what they don't have is a belief that can appropriate that knowledge to themselves in a positive way. That's what Christ is. He is uh, belief in Him, trust in Him is. The the point at which we are able to appropriate what what we otherwise would simply know theoretically. Okay, so to know <clears throat> to know that I have an inheritance, um, that's one thing, but to tap into that inheritance so that I can use it is something else altogether. All right, fifth. A 327, what's the fifth particular prerequisite to answer what it is to pray in Christ's name? And that is that the praying person should pray for nothing that's not agreeable to the mind of Christ for which he has not warrant and allowance. And he brings up the idea of uh, taking Christ's name in vain. When we pray for things contrary to the known will of God, when we pray for things uh, that Seem to have, um, uh, seem to have a mark of of the divine disapprobation. We're wandering into very dangerous territory. Right? We we need to. Uh, one reason we need to search the scriptures is to make sure that we're praying. According to the precepts and the promises and the the um, <clears throat> the general rules of the Word of God. All right. So the more we we search the Scriptures and and find uh, find ourselves able to maintain that track that path. Uh, the. Less likely it's going to be that we're going to be praying for something not agreeable to the mind of Christ. And after all, uh, you know, the Bible is the expression of the mind of Christ, it's a revelation of the mind of Christ. All right, 328. <clears throat> What's the sixth particular prerequisite to answer? What it is to bring Christ's name. And then also, we want to consider here what does it mean that we should take this way in faith? So, the sixth thing is that such as ask in the name of Christ are to believe that such is the way of their finding access to their prayers. Uh, to make use of his name thereupon. In other words, that through his name that they're going to be accepted, that the prayers are going to find place before God. Right? You have to. You really need to believe that. That's not only um, uh, sort of that that theory, but you really have to believe that that's the case. That apart from Jesus, I'm not going to be heard. So if you're, if you're praying and you don't really believe that, um, Brown is suggesting, I think, here that you're not really praying aright. <clears throat> so always in your prayers, there needs to be a, a continual return in your, your thinking, the meditation that's behind your prayer, that this has to be uh, offered up in and through Christ if it's going to be acceptable. And... So 328b, what does it mean that we should take this way in faith? Um... He says, it means that we should take this believing it's the way of God and that it is the way to come uh, speedily and that if we follow this way rightly, we will come speedily uh, to God. And, and he refers back reflexively at this point to that verse at the beginning of the book which has really been the, the theme, right? If ye shall ask, uh, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, I will do it. <clears throat> so, you know, he's laying out parameters, but he's also telling you that the way to, to answered prayer, the way to avoid vain praying, is to keep yourself within these prerequisites, right? You need to pray in faith. It's not enough that you're simply um, <clears throat> you. You simply have that theoretical knowledge that Jesus is a mediator. You really, really need to believe that unless you pray in and through him there's no hope of of actually um, gaining your petitions I, I think <clears throat> there's something um, there's something necessary to understand here I, I just want to mention it aside before we go any further a lot of times uh, in talking to people you know people who if you were to push them uh if you were to to quiz them uh, to Expect them to give the answers that you have, for example, in the catechism regarding who Christ is or what the office of mediator entails, um, those kinds of things. They'd have no idea whatsoever. And if you were to push a little harder... uh, you will discover that they don't even really believe in the Jesus of the Bible, right? I mean, and, and I've, I've mentioned this on different occasions, but today it's very, uh, very common, you know, for people to assert that, well, oh, my God is okay with sodomy. Uh, my uh, my Jesus is okay with abortion. My, my God is okay with, you know, and, and just fill in the blank with some kind of, of moral depravity, some kind of uh, civil atrocity. A lot of people think that, and the reason is uh, because, you know, the fact is their God, their Jesus is no God, is no Jesus. It's a false God, it's a false Jesus. And, And you can press people and find that they don't have a correct idea, and yet they'll tell you that they've prayed and they've experienced the answer to prayer. And it may well be that they've had answers to prayer. But an answer to a prayer that's offered outside of Christ will never be improved to the glory of God and to your own salvation. In other words, an answer to a prayer outside of Christ is not really a blessing so much as it is a curse. Because it tends to confirm people in their unbelief, in their wickedness, in you know whatever it is that they're doing, it feeds their delusion. Right? What Brown is talking about here is praying in such a way that when you have these answers to prayer, they are all within a context, confirming true and saving faith in Jesus. So that's, a, I think, an important thing to understand as to why, you know, if you wonder why does he keep going over this stuff? Why did, why is he picking at this so much? You know, just be on about it. Let's just pray. Well, he would say, yes, Pray. But, you know, pray aright, ask for things which are warranted uh, in and by the word of God, right? Make use of Christ. But again, you're not going to do that, are you, if you really don't think you're such a bad person after all? And if, you know, your standard of judgment is the person across the street or the person that's sitting... Uh, sat next to you in college or the person that sat next to you on an airplane or on a bus somewhere or somebody in a restaurant where you're sitting and you look over, whatever. If that's your standard, you're always going to come out looking better than you really are before God. But when when you consider the perfection demanded by the law, that's when you have to confess that you're an abject, utter, vile sinner before God. Right? If you, and, and if you can't do that, <clears throat> if you really can't uh, admit that, you really, i the one thing I can tell you is you really don't understand the law of God. And anybody who thinks like that, rich young ruler, I mean, anyone who thinks they can keep the law of God from their youth up, they've done a pretty good job, and and so on. Uh, remember, again, Jesus does exactly what um, Paul does to himself, and he takes them right to the tenth commandment, "Thou shalt not covet." You know, go sell everything you have and follow me. And as soon as that happens, then you know you have to begin to. Uh, to come to that realization that the law is not simply touching your outward comportment, your outward behavior, but it's demanding an inward comportment, an inward disposition toward God. All right, 329. What's the first thing we're asking in the name of Christ does consist and what should be thought, though there are many infirmities in it. So, <clears throat> uh, this is moving beyond his uh, prerequisites now. He's going to begin ask, uh, giving us the things that we should uh, consider, uh, What uh, wherein asking the name of Christ consists. So, <coughs> 329a. The first thing where in asking the name of Christ does consist is it consists in drawing all of our encouragement to prayer from Christ alone and from what he has done in making access for us. And, And this is important. You know, this is... That reformational point, uh, Christ alone, right? The the Reformation was all about the the alone, Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. That that's <coughs> <coughs> that's what um, is in view. So uh, this. Praying, asking in the name of Christ has to be, um, it has to be based upon and take encouragement from Christ alone, not anything in ourselves, right? Not anything in our uh, circumstance, not anything in our uh, connections, right? But all of it is in Christ alone. We're not looking for or expecting anything in our praying. In other words, we're not not taking any encouragement from anything other than Jesus. Because if we are, then we're trying to mix something of our own works, our own merit, our as the ground for gaining an answer to that prayer. So, <clears throat> of course, you know, you when you hear that sort of thing, you say, well, that's not really possible. After all, I'm a sinner. At least you should be saying that. So that's 329, what should be thought, though there are many infirmities in us. Um, and he says, "What we need to do is oppose those um, infirmities by considering Christ's office, Christ's work—that uh, He's become man, taking on us, uh, taking on Himself our nature, and coming in the likeness of sinful flesh to the point that He actually." can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, although there are infirmities still in us, uh, we can very safely bring those to be offered to Christ as well in prayer. Rather than taking, uh, taking encouragement from our infirmities or... Taking discouragement for our infirmities. Whichever the case may be, and there people sometimes actually do both. The fact is, he says, what we should do instead is focus on the fact that Christ has taken upon himself our nature, and so he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Again, turn that into a ground for seeking encouragement in Christ. so let let those infirmities drive you out of yourself and further into uh, taking encouragement from Christ. he, he knows uh, he's experienced our infirmities. You see, he was even tempted to sin. you know he wasn't there's no sin in him. <clears throat> and and so the temptation had no hook in him. But in all aspects of, of the human experience, in uh, and, and all the aspects of our human experience, which embrace expressions are in, of our infirmity, in all aspects that are sinless, He has taken a complete knowledge by entering into our nature. All right, let's move on to the second thing we're in asking in the the name of Christ does consist. Three thirty, and what should the ground of all this be? Three thirty (coughs) B. So the second thing. uh, we're in asking in the name of Christ does consist, is in drawing all the grounds of our confidence and boldness in prayer from Christ alone. again, what is he trying to do? He's trying to uh, drive you out of yourself. You might say, well, this seems to be somewhat redundant, and uh, perhaps there is some overlap in what he's saying here. But the point, I think, to us is uh, this is... This is a problem, a sin to which men I, I think naturally incline. You know we try to bring ourselves in in some fashion. Right? We we try to find <clears throat> some place for <clears throat> some place for our merit, some place for our um, acceptance, you know, th- that we have done something that we haven't quite gone maybe as far down that uh, road of breaking the law of God. Um, there, there are all kinds of things that uh, we try to bring in. But he's saying, no, all the ground of our confidence, all the boldness in prayer should be from Christ alone. And he he says the ground of all of this should be ultimately Christ, his name. This is 330B. Uh, it should all be Christ, his name, his offices, and work. <coughs> so, you know, if you wonder why did the church spend so much time uh, in the early church, debating and and um, fighting over who Jesus is, uh, because we we need to know who he is, what his name means, what what his office is entailed, right? What his work is accomplished. All right. The third thing we're in asking in the name of Christ does consist three thirty one. The third thing is drawing of all of the hope of our being accepted of God in this piece of service, prayer. Uh, We should draw all of our hope in being accepted in prayer only from Christ. And he reminds us here that our persons must be accepted or our service will not be accepted. Now that's not um, that that second bit there. I think is um, something that should not come as a surprise. It's not surprising that this would be the case. You know, the fact is that in life. <clears throat> Very often, uh, in fact, given that we are imperfect creatures, uh, we accept the service from one another in a very imperfect manner, based upon, largely based upon, whether or not we accept the person offering the service, okay. If we don't really accept the person offering the service, then the service is going to be objectionable. We can because we can find objections with virtually everything, and <clears throat> by analogy. Um, this applies with God, right? God accepts our service not because of who we are, or what we've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. In other words, our service, which is very imperfect, our prayers, for example, very imperfect, but they're made acceptable in the beloved, in Christ, because he is loved of God. As the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. And that's, that is the case. That's the case in our prayers. So it's important then to, <clears throat> to make use of this mediation <clears throat> because Christ is the one who's accepted of God. He's the one, after all, who kept the law perfectly, didn't he? Right? He's the one who, who made atonement for our breach of the law, didn't he? And this is why um, the Reformed churches have generally uh, settled upon and said both Christ's active obedience, that is, his active keeping of the law, and his passive obedience, that is, his suffering and dying, all are necessary for our salvation. Because together, his active and passive obedience are together the things which demonstrate his acceptance before God. Make their demonstration he's accepted before God. God accepts of that. Right? He does not accept the service of those who broke in covenant, who are in a state of rebellion, and so on. So our service outside of Christ could never be acceptable. <clears throat> so I think that, that, that third... Uh, the third thing is an imp- a very important point. And Brown doesn't get into that a lot, but um, I think that's an extremely important point that he's making there. Right. Fourth, the fourth thing we're in asking in the name of Christ is consist. He says it consists in going about the duty of prayer in Christ and in his strength, not in our own. <clears throat> and what he means by this, again, when we offer up our prayers to God, we should be offering up our prayers to God, not in um, not in a state of uh, dependence upon ourselves. He's already said that. Okay, not from. Uh, our own and anything that is our own strength. <clears throat> In fact, going back to the very first prerequisite, if you understand your vileness, your, your, um, your sinfulness before God, then there is nothing. In you, that's actually strong before God, right? You're, you are not, in any sense, a definition of strength. You are a definition of weakness. So there is nothing there. Instead, what he's saying is, we need to draw our petitions in Him and by His Spirit in us. In other words, <clears throat> we should be uh, we should be courting the motions of the Spirit in us. When we when we pray and there's a certain deadness in our praying, it's because the Spirit of God is not moving in us. We're, there's nothing going on, you know the prayers. Those kinds of prayers are usually prayers really from the lips out. But when you're actually engaged, what He's he's telling you to do is um, to draw your petitions by the spirit which is working in you. You know, again, the way to do this is as you read the word of God, you should be praying, continually praying that you think this way, that you feel this way, that you're affected in that manner. Right. As as I noted the other night. While affections are a problem when they get ahead of your knowledge, your faith. Uh Affections that are according to knowledge and in faith are actually, uh, they actually strengthen that knowledge and faith, right? They're, they actually are a help. So, it, you know, your, when your affections, when your emotions are, get, get before your thinking and your faith, your understanding and your faith, uh, they're going to be a problem. And they're going to cause problems. But when your understanding and your faith are fired by affection, sanctified affection, uh, that strengthens your understanding and your faith. And and that's, in a sense, what's going on here. When the Spirit of God um, is working in you, You're going to be rightly affected toward these things that you uh, come to know and believe. And there's a very similar thing he's talking about here with prayer. When you pray, when you pray, you should be, first of all, seeking uh, the Spirit to move you to pray in this manner. In other words, if there's something, if there's an answer to prayer you really need, you really are seeking, and you really have every reason to think it's according to the will of God, <clears throat> you should be, if you're not rightly affected, you should first of all be praying that you would be rightly affected in praying for that. Because you don't want to go with the duty of prayer in your own strength. Remember, ultimately, our end game here is to attain what the puritans would call return of prayer that is an answer you want you want an answer because answered prayers are one of the best uh one of the best um, uh, signs to confirm you continually in the faith right when you when you are told to make your calling and election sure uh, this is one great way of of um, doing that, because prayer has a, a way of of joining the objective and the subjective in such a manner that the subjective uh, takes on an objective aspect, so you can you can meditate upon that. When, you, when a prayer is answered, you can, you can continue, and you'll see the people in the Bible do this. They look back to God's answers of prayer, and they give thanks for that. They reflect upon it. They, they remember it. <clears throat> and they use that as a ground for praying in the future, too. For praying for things, uh, because if they have evidence that God has been gracious to them, uh, that evidence is strengthening them to, uh, to be confident that God... God is in fact their God. And if He's once been gracious, uh, that He is graciously disposed toward them. All right, 333, what's the fifth thing we're in asking in the name of Christ does consist? And 333b, uh, what should we expect? <coughs> so, the fifth thing we're in asking in the name of Christ consists is laying all the weight of the ground of our acceptance in that duty of prayer only on Christ and his merits. Again, getting back to he's only, he alone is the mediator. And uh, 333b, what, uh, what should we expect then? We should expect an answer to that prayer only for his sake only on account of his merit only on account of his interaction with the father not for anything in ourselves <clears throat> right so this this expectation um is is not in any way to be grounded in ourselves any more than the exercise of prayer itself, right? So the the expectation of the answer to the prayer is outside of ourselves as well. All right, the sixth thing, 334. What's the sixth thing we're in asking in the name of Christ does consist? He says it consists in being quieted in our minds uh, concerning the event when we've thus laid the stress of all on Christ and put our supplications in his hand. In other words, <coughs> he's saying that when, when you're in this situation, when you're praying in faith, when you're doing all of these things that he said to do, when you're reflecting upon, uh, what's going on in prayer in, within this scope, where Christ is everything and you are nothing, what he's saying essentially is this. You can bring your petition before God and set it down and walk away, and you don't have to worry about it. Right. And that's... <clears throat> uh, he, he points here to 1 John 5, 13 and 14. This is a confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Beyond that, I would say, it is also in keeping with what Jesus Says about uh, you know casting our our concerns upon him, right? Casting all of our worries, all of our fears, all of our apprehensions, all of our needs, all of our wants, we can cast upon him so that we can we can take them out of ourselves and place him at his feet, and we don't need to worry. We don't need to get ourselves all worked up. The stress of all that is being um, contemplated in the prayer is given over to God. <clears throat> and, um, you know, his use of the word stress here is not simply, we, we tend to think of stress pure, almost purely, I think, in a negative fashion, but he's not using the word in that way. He's really uh, using it in, in a positive and as well as negative sense. Uh, it, it's just an encompassing. But, you know, all of our. Uh, all of those negative feelings perhaps as well as all the positive feelings so don't don't just think it's it's the one but the other as well right they're all being set aside And the reason I think this is important is again going back to what I said earlier um, when your emotions get ahead of your understanding your faith uh, they're a problem, and confidence in prayer is one way that you can, in fact, um, in a sense, dissociate um, emotion in the first instance, right? So that it, you're you're going to uh, force those emotions, those uh, whether whether they're positive or negative uh, feelings, affections. You're going to force them under the um, the consideration of faith. They're not going to be able to lead everything about, but they're going to be made subservient the way they ought to be. We're now to the uh, last part of this chapter where he wants to uh, give us a series of councils uh, that will help us address ourselves rightly to God in making proper use of Christ. So, Uh, 335, in order to address ourselves rightly to God, making proper use of Christ, what should we do? And you will notice we have 10 uh, points that are set out here. So the first thing that we should do is, he says, we should remember and carry constantly on us An impression of what we are by nature. I've been been stressing this, I think, a bit as we've been going through this chapter. And this is, again, a very important point. Because all of the other things that he's talking about in this chapter are going to be... um, virtually meaningless i think if you are not convinced of what you are by nature right that, that and he says namely that you are a sinner a worthless sinner at a distance from god having nothing to commend you to god except misery and poverty as long as you think you have something to bring uh, you're simply not going to go about all of this in the right manner. All right, the second thing that we should do to address ourselves rightly to God <coughs> and making proper use of Christ is uh, we, we need to be clear that it's Christ's work in office to bring sinners into the Father, uh, into the Father and to make their persons accepted. And ultimately to present their petitions. Again, if we're clear on that, we're going to be very uh, very much averse to trying to bring in anything of ourselves, of our own doing, of our own devising, of our own imagination, etc. Right, a third thing that uh, we should do in order to address ourselves rightly to God, make proper use of Christ, 335c. Is to be clear that Jesus Christ has a great delight and complacency uh, in this, being man and having the true and kindly affections of a man, and while in a state of humiliation, uh, being tempted, experiencing himself, uh, experiencing in himself the pain and 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 so on, the infirmities we talked about. So we need to be clear that Jesus took delight. And this is something uh, I think a few weeks ago in this book we looked at this. But, you know, the Bible says that Jesus did what he did for the joy set before him. Right? That he and and when it says that <clears throat> it, it's talking about his incarnation, his humiliation, uh, being made subject to the law, his passion, his death, all of that he undertook for the joy set before him. And and the joy set before him has to do with becoming a man like with us. right? He took great pleasure in this. He takes great pleasure in assuming our nature. And <clears throat> that should actually be an encouragement. To us, um, it, it means you know, God actually likes His people. All right, the fourth thing that we should do in order to address ourselves rightly to God, make proper, make proper use of Christ. Uh, D three thirty five D is we should know that the Father, having appointed him to this work to be high priest and intercessor, uh, will certainly be pleased with him in the discharge of these offices. And again, I, I think we talked about this a little bit, uh, that you know, Christ did not appoint himself to the office of mediator. He's appointed mediator by the Father and the fact that he's appointed mediator by the Father and that he takes up that office as the beloved of the Father all of this should confirm to us that what he does will be accepted by the Father. And in terms of prayer, that means that all of the petitions which he presents will be heard in due time. So everything, you know, as long as you pray according to his will <clears throat> and submission, you know, all the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, as long as you pray within the parameters of the Bible, what the Bible tells you to do, you have confidence that God will hear. That's why, again, going back to that verse he quotes from 1 John 5, uh, this is the confidence we have in him. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So you have confidence. All right, 335 E. What should we do in order to address ourselves rightly to God, Mm -hmm. making proper use of Christ? He says, then, therefore, we should close with him as mediator. In other words, we should accept of him as sent, sealed, and offered of the Father on his own terms. In other words, if all of this is true, then we need to make use of him. That's the point. So, uh, Maintaining knowledge that Christ is the Savior at arm's length, is not going to help you. Uh, but you need to put your trust in him and accept of him as your savior. All right. 335F, the sixth thing that we should do in order to address ourselves rightly to God and make proper use of Christ, is that we should eye him as tender heart, a tender hearted, compassionate, sympathizing high priest touched with the feeling of our infirmities. <clears throat> now he's saying, once you've taken hold of him, right, now he's saying, knowing that he's touched with our infirmities, that should actually. Uh, excite our affections toward Him. We should be rightly affected toward Him. Right, 7 or G, 335G, what should we do in order to address ourselves rightly to God, making proper use of Christ? Uh, He says, we should rest persuaded that Christ will not forget his offices and work, whatever we are, whatever we be. So he's, whatever, um, however it goes with us, he is there, as he says, uh, he, is, um, he will cheerfully make, you, make us welcome, uh, waiting to receive our prayers, to put into a censer, and to be employed by us in these, his offices. In other words, he's, he's not forgetting his offices, he's eager, as it were, to fulfill his offices toward all who put their trust in him. Right, 3:35, h, the eighth thing that we should do in order to address ourselves rightly to God, making proper use of Christ. He says we should have confidence and hope through Him, despite what appears from within or from without to discourage us or to make us faint. Again, <clears throat> the reason is our hopes and expectations are not dependent upon anything except him. And he is absolutely reliable. All right, 335i, or 9. What we should do is we should wholly then acquiesce in his merits and rest upon his merits expecting what we desire and seek only on his account and he says that if you really grasp that that should um, that should make us confident that we're going to receive a good answer when we pray. 335J, the 10th thing that we should do in order to address ourselves rightly to God. This is abstracting wholly from ourselves and laying our whole weight on Christ and on his merits. That we are to act in faith as to the particular that we're asking. He says we're to... Leave ourselves and our, our petitions wholly on Christ. Right? We're put everything to his hand. <clears throat> and wait, knowing that in God's good time, in and through Jesus, we will get an answer. <clears throat> Alright, so the last point then in this chapter, um, 336, what does all of this demonstrate to us? He says that this demonstrates to us that to ask in the name of Christ is, therefore, something very different than barely naming his name in prayer. And he gives an example of, you know, the kinds of things people say, uh, like, grant us Lord this, or... That for Christ's sake, he just says that um, <clears throat> when you're not really uh, asking in the name of Christ, that's just a bare mention. And that's not what this, uh, this really entails. He's not saying, by the way, don't, you know, say in Jesus' name or anything like that. That's not his point. But his point is that in all of our praying, we should be joining to our petition uh, these kinds of things so that we're actually making use of Christ in our praying. So, Uh, Chapter 17 is going to be dealing with how we often ask in prayer and not in the name of Christ. So we're going to be looking at uh, some of the um, mistakes, uh, and I've been alluding to a number of them, but we'll look at them uh, because Brown really likes to turn this inside out and upside down so that you, by the end of it all, hopefully, when you pray... It will become a reflexive thing for you actually to pray in the name of Christ. Next time, we'll look at what it is not to pray in the name of Christ.